We do want to uh, to remember, um, well, several families in our prayers. Uh, there's uh, there's a little sickness going around, and and some families uh, have it present in the house. So all of them obviously are just taking precautions and and staying in. Uh, but uh, uh, that's the world that we live in now. So uh, we'll we'll deal with it. But uh, my golly, we we ended up with a pretty good crowd this morning. That's right. So. Uh, I know Stan had uh, had addressed the issue this week and uh, uh, the the disappointment uh, of the vote, but uh, I want to confess, as I have told others, and I'm not the doubting Thomas, as uh, the the cliche goes, but it didn't surprise me. Folks, we live in a very pagan world. We live in a very pagan state, and we have to wake up to reality. But we are the witnesses. We are the light uh, in this darkness. And so we will not be discouraged because our God reigns. Amen? He reigns. And I'm also going to say something else that uh, I hope is not offensive, and I mean that from the very depth of my heart. I wonder if we hadn't put too much faith in government instead of our God. Folks, government is not the answer to our woes and problems. Government cannot fix the problem of sin. But we know a, we know a God who can. And that's where we will remain faithful. I encourage you to remain faithful. It is that God gets the final word on all matters. And our primary goal, mission in life is to remain faithful to him. Remain faithful to him. So let's do not be discouraged. And I, and I mean that. Do not be discouraged. Uh, we have just had our mission field revealed to us one more time. Amen? So let's concentrate on that. Uh, you do want to have a, a word of, of prayer? Matter of fact, uh, very briefly, next week we're going to start a short series on the book of Habakkuk. Now, uh, one of the minor prophets, that is called a minor prophet because it's brief, not because he's lesser, uh, of lesser importance. But I thought it was, was a good place to go in light of everything that's going on in our nation and our world because Habakkuk wasn't afraid to ask God the tough questions. And I fear that sometimes within the Christian community, we're a little bit afraid of that. Well, I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't ask these things or I shouldn't think these things. Well, listen, guys. God wants to hear about everything. Not that he needs the information, not that he needs us to let him know what's going on, but he needs to hear our hearts expressed so that he can respond in the same manner. So it's okay to ask God why, and I mean that. We're going to study that starting next week. God has a secret he wants everyone to know. Have you ever been told a secret and say, I don't tell anybody? Right? And that's after the person sharing it has already shared it multiple times. Now, this is a secret. I share this in confidence. Wow. I'm glad God had a secret he wants everybody to know. We're going to discover that in this morning's text. Chapter 4 contains three of the most significant applicable passages in Scripture. 
Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Again, we, we review here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and here's the promise, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.13, we'll be looking at here in a moment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What else can be said about the resources that we have as believers? Those are promises, folks. Those are recorded in the Word of God and applicable to every believer that has confessed their sins and received Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Last week, we looked at God's presence and God's peace. Today, we'll look at God's power and God's provision. Last week's in the presence, the Lord is at hand, and His peace is that peace which surpasses all understanding This week again, God will prove himself through his power and his provision. Would you please stand at the reading of God's word? We'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, the remainder of the chapter and the letter to the church at Philippi. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concerns, excuse me, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, but I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, I sent, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word, your blessing would be on it. And Father, that the Holy Spirit would take these words, living and active, words that he inspired, and he would impart these truths to our heart. Father, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we would trust you more. Father, we love you, and we can only say that because you first loved us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Stan uh, uh, took uh, point number one, so I don't know if we need to preach that, Stan. 
uh, you know, because the first thing I would like us to look at, and we're going to spend just a moment of time in, in some explanation of this. And folks, I, I think it's important too, and this kind of spurs off of a, a, a conversation I was having uh, earlier this morning uh, uh, with, uh, with an elder. And, uh, you know, I read, I read one of the most discouraging passages in Scripture a pastor can ever read. I, I, uh, I, I'm going to bifurcate here just a little bit. Do you know what, the, what, what happens in heaven? The minute we get there, the minute a pastor gets into heaven, he is confronted with 24 elders. And they're between us and the throne. That's, that's, I don't know. Gary, what do you think about that? A pastor's worst nightmare. No, that's not true. That's not true. Point number one, why can we have confidence? Three things we can count on in our life as believers. Number one, the overruling providence of God. The overruling providence of God. Stan and I actually had a conversation about this earlier this week, and it was good. It really was good. But as we look at this, it's important to understand that when we're talking about contentment, we're not talking about complacency. And it's not a false peace just based on ignorance or ignoring what's going on around us. The complacent believer is not going to be concerned about others, while the contented Christian wants to share the blessing that they have received. Contentment is not an escape from the battle. It's the peace we have in the midst of it, that God will rule providentially and carry us through whatever trial we are facing. So in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length. You have received your concern, for, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Providence. It's an interesting word. It comes from the Latin very quickly, and it means before to see. Before to see. It's, it's, a, it's a, a pro video. Pro video is, is really what it means. When we speak of the providence of God, we are proclaiming his omniscience his all-knowing attribute, and his omnipresence, his ever-present, everywhere, simultaneously character or attributes. God knows all things at all times simultaneously. Isn't that mind-boggling? That's mind-boggling. No past, no future. God knows all things now. Now. As God works in our lives, he's working out the details of the end result that he already knows, but we are invited to cooperate. Providence does not erase human will. God has factored that in. Providence is sovereignty in display where God steps into the human experience. How, what other religion uh, can make that claim that the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things actually came and interacted with humanity and still does? 
Folks, he is not an impersonal deity somewhere in the cosmos that is separated from the human condition. He became one of us, incarnate God, fully God, fully man, so that he could relate at every level with the human experience of life, struggle, suffering, sorrow, pain, and victory. What a God we have. It is sovereignty. And the free will of man that works out God's plan. Folks, I will leave it at that. I will leave it at that. As we look at familiar stories in the Bible, the one that jumps out at me in regard to this is the story of Joseph. And his brothers who sold him into slavery. They they hated him, despised him, jealousy drove them to do this. But he was sold to the under the worst conditions, ended up in Egypt. And what happens there? He interprets a dream. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and he literally gives them a prophecy. And through this whole process, after 20 years of separation, this covers a, a, a period of seven, of, of seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. There's all these things going on. 20 years goes by. Guess who shows up in Egypt? Joseph's family. Joseph's family. And this is what Joseph tells them. God sent me before you to preserve life. Genesis 45 and 5. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Genesis 50 and verse 20. You see, this is the providence of God. His hand ruling and overruling in the affairs of life which inspired Paul to write under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, that's a beautiful promise. But listen to me very carefully. The passage of Scripture does not promise that all things are good. It does promise that all things are are brought together by God for the good of those who love him. Matter of fact, it's through the most difficult of times that we draw on that strength, isn't it? God in his providence prompted the church at Philippi to be concerned about Paul's ministry. The church then decided to act on that prompting of the Holy Spirit and send assistance. But you will not just stumble into God's will. You will not stumble into it. You've got to spend time with him if you want to find out what his will is. He will speak, but it's very personal It's very intimate, and it comes when we are earnestly in our hearts seeking to know what he desires for our lives. Wiersbe says, life is not a series of accidents. It is a series of appointments. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, the psalmist writes. Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. When he was brought out of all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, John 10 and 4. The providence of God we can trust, folks. And I am not telling you we will always understand it. We will not understand fully why evil seems to prevail so much. But I can tell you, God is still on the throne. He is still on the throne. And Jesus Christ is right at his right hand, interceding on behalf of the saints right now, fully aware fully comprehending everything that's going on and promising his children, his church, everything that it will need to endure. Second resource 
the unfailing power of God. Paul again writes, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, please pause, underline learned, or make a mental note, learned, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, there it is again, learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I believe the most important principle in this passage is not just the power of God, but the process he takes us through to prove it. It's the process. How do you learn something, folks? And I'm going to contradict all the, the higher education. You don't learn it by reading a book. You don't learn it by reading a book. You want to learn something, you've got to go through it. You've got to go through it. You've got to experience And all of us here today have different experiences. That's the beauty of the church, the diversity of the body of Christ, the diversity and unity of the body of Christ, is that we all have life experiences that we go through. Some might be shared, most won't. But that is our testimony of a faithful, powerful God. I, I try to shy away from this, but I can't help but share a personal example. I was met with one of the greatest blessings that I could ever hear walking across my yard yesterday. We had gathered for the annual Dillard Family Corn Shucking Contest. And we decided that I came up with a rhyme. I asked them, how much corn can a corn shucker shuck if a corn shucker could chuck corn? I made it through that, J.D. But we gathered yesterday morning and we shucked corn. And we silked corn. And then we boiled corn. And we cut corn. And we bagged corn. And afterwards, we cleaned up the mess from all that corn. And praise God for the gift of that corn. So Colton and I were taking all the cobs and stuff, and we went to the back, and we were dumping it over in the timber, let the coons have a little feast. We're walking back across the yard. Colton looks up, and he says, Grandpa, I've learned to do so many things watching you. Folks, we're going to have an impact on the people around us, good or bad, we're going to have an impact on the people around us. And people are watching, and our children are watching and learning. I believe the most important principle in this, again, is not just how powerful God is, but his providential way of leading us through the trials, through the hardships of life, to prove it. To prove it. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to about. How does he know that? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. There it is, God's secret. There it is. The secret God wants everybody to know. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance of need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
But I want us to contrast this verse with another verse. Because this will emphasize, highlight the importance of what that means. In verse 13 of chapter 4 of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In John 15, verse 5, our Savior says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Folks, that's important. That's important. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. That's sobering. That's sobering. Contentment, again, is not just dropped in our laps. We learn it. How? Through life circumstances. We don't fight it. We embrace it. We endure by the mercies and grace of our God. We like to recognize the goodness of God in the good times, but fail to see his goodness in the tough times. Adversity is a great teacher. It's a great instructor. And this is where God's power can shine in our lives. Paul was quick to let his friends know that he was not complaining. He was not complaining. His contentment didn't depend on circumstances or things. His joy came from something deeper, something apart from either poverty or prosperity. And I would like to make this note. Prosperity has done more damage to believers than adversity. It's done far more damage because we begin to put our faith in the prosperity, in the stuff, in the good times. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either be cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. You say, I have prospered. You say, I am, need of, I am in need of nothing, not realizing, that you, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Folks, that sounds like poverty. But it's in that recognition that in our, in our poverty without Christ, without Christ, we are poor. We're bankrupt. The unfailing power of God, very quickly, it is a satisfying power. The satisfaction comes from our relationship with Christ. Paul is content even when hungry and in need of many things. It, and then we look at the satisfier. Jesus himself is a source of Paul's strength. It is a sanctifying power. It is a multiplying power. It is a glorifying power. God uses his power to glorify himself. And number three, we have the unchanging promises of God. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. And once again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's the verse we don't want to miss right there. Now we're going to come back to that. But again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit 
that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Do you see what Paul's saying? Power passage emphasizing the participation in God's work. But listen, I mean, caution all of us to understand we're not called to do the Lord's work. Now, I know I, I, this can be, sound a bit critical, but it's a phrase that I try to stay away from. We do not do God's work. He is fully capable of doing his own. But we are to join him in the work that he's doing. And that's where spiritual discernment comes in, to recognize God working and join him in that work will bring glory and honor to the Father. Not that I seek the gift, Paul says. It's not important. That's not the most important thing about what you did. The most important thing is that you will receive God's blessings for being obedient to his command. It's just like giving to the church, giving to ministries. Folks, we don't do it to receive the blessing. We do it because God has, has, has commanded us to, and the Holy Spirit will prompt every believer to be a giver in some level or another. That's a bold statement, but I'm going to say it. I don't think you can escape the conviction of the Holy Spirit once you are born again in the area of giving because the blood of Christ washes away selfishness. <laughs> I believe that with all my heart. Now, some of it can be learned maybe, but, but folks, boy, I guess if you showed me someone who had never given anything or much of anything, and I'm not talking about token gifts, but given to ministries of the Lord, given to his church, I think there's a serious spiritual issue there. A serious spiritual issue. We don't give and serve with a return as a motive, but God blesses a giving and serving heart, and he can decide what that looks like. If you are looking for notoriety and fame, don't expect a blessing. Something else about the character of God, he's a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with anyone. Do not find yourself competing with God for recognition in our giving and ministry. Does that make sense? Because he alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise in every aspect of our life. Through the good times, through the bad, through the ups, through the downs, through the trials, through the blessings, all of these things, he alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Paul looked on their gift as a spiritual sacrifice. The church at Philippi had given with pure hearts, with pure motive to assist in the ministry of the apostle Paul. But Paul does not see the gift coming directly from Philippi, he sees the gift passing through their hands. You see it? He doesn't, he doesn't say the church at Philippi is so abundantly rich that they were able to give this or that to me. Our God is abundantly rich, so he passed that blessing through the church at Philippi and on out to Paul, returns the blessing to the church at Philippi, and everybody is giving God the glory. Amen? 
God has not promised to supply all of our greeds. He has promised to meet all of our needs. When the child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then he will have every need met by the authority of God's word. I can say that. I don't know what that will look like in every situation, but I know that it's true. Hudson Taylor often said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. And then Paul closes with this beautiful little personal note. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a, what a powerful benediction. He emphasizes the spiritual union that you cannot experience apart from knowing Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. He says the, the greeting comes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is communicated spirit to spirit, the Spirit of God communicating with your spirit, transforming us into the image and likeness of Christ. It is a spiritual union that's only established through repentance and confession of faith. Contentment comes from adequate resources, folks. And I hope in some way we understand from the text this morning God is a sufficient resource. Our resources are within the providence of God. Our resources come by the power of God, and our resources come through the promises of God. These resources made Paul sufficient for every demand of life, and I say this with absolute certainty, they can make us sufficient also. So the question that we present this morning in closing, where have you placed your confidence? On what or whom does your contentment rest? What resources do you draw from for strength, comfort, peace, and hope? I would pray that they're all found in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that you know the God who meets our needs. I pray that you know Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And if you don't, there is a time in our service we call an altar call. And that would be the most important part of the invitation for those who don't know Christ. We can tell you how to be saved and know Him personally as your Savior. But it's also a good place to meet God in prayer. Just to kneel on the altar before God. And if you have a prayer concern that you would like one of us to be praying over, maybe you're going through one of those difficult times. Maybe this is a, a, a maybe you're in a learning curve right now, and it's hard, it's tough. We would love to join in praying for you, to encourage you, to support you in your time of need. But please, please know we love you 
We care for you, but ultimately only God can meet your deepest needs through Christ Jesus, his son. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for these great examples from Scripture. Paul was just a man. He was just a man. Had the same struggles as any any other person in this assembly this morning. He had good times. He had bad times. He was hungry. He was was well-fed. He was naked. He was well-clothed. Shipwrecked, beaten, who knows, all the things recorded in Scripture. He was just a man. But he served a mighty God. He was a weak man, but he served an all-powerful God. He was a needy man, but he rested in the provisions of God. So, Father, we thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and every saint that's gone before us who's lived out the truths of your word. May we have a recordable testimony that we followed in their footsteps as they followed Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand for a time of invitation. If you have any prayer concerns, once again, please feel free to come. Uh, encourage you to, to record those prayer re- needs for us too when the slips are handed out. Uh, however, we promise to pray for you. Uh, we promise to do that. Uh, but whatever your need is, again, I'm going to refer you to the needs meter.